My kids have a running argument at home, and the argument is about who is the greatest, Superman, Spider-Man, or Iron Man. And of course, the question is, if they were in a fight, who would win? You know, if they were in a battle, which one would come off on top? And, and of course, um, my kids think that Spider-Man would win, and Iron Man doesn't really have any superpowers. He, he just has a special suit. But for them, this is, this is a big deal. But what I want you to see is that this is a question that doesn't uh, leave, uh, that doesn't stay in our childhood. It's still very much with us as adults. We're still very concerned about who's the greatest. So uh, there's even a a generation that that we call in the United States the greatest generation. Some of you may have heard that. And, uh, you know, today we're kind of still thinking about the greatest generation. And I know there's a lot of uh, you know, people that, that get down on the millennials, but I heard recently that millennials have the potential of being the next greatest generation. Who knows? Um, I don't know about, you know, I, for me, the way I land on this is I like Generation X. I think Generation X is, is pretty much going to be the greatest generation, but of course, that's me. I'm Generation X. But we are very much concerned about, we all want to be the greatest generation. We all want to be the greatest. And I think it's a good question, actually. I think the question of greatness is, is, it's really an eternal question no matter which way you look at it. You know, we all want to be great. There's something deep in us. We want to be great citizens. We want to be great bosses. We want to be great parents. We want to be great, uh, you know, fathers and mothers. You know, we, we want to be great. It's, a, it's actually a great thing to aspire to. This is why we write books. This is why we write music. Uh, this is why we work hard to achieve in our jobs because we at the end of the day, want to be great. I think it's a good thing. The question is, uh, how do I achieve greatness? What is the standard? What is the measure of true greatness? What does true greatness look like anyway? Now, we're in a series called The the Way of the the Cross, and uh, Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him. And uh, he said that the way of the cross is the way of surrender. He's also said the way of the cross is is the way of self-denial. Uh, We said it's the way of uh, trust and and away from self-reliance last week. And this week, Jesus is going to define greatness in light of the cross. What does greatness mean in light of being a disciple? What does it mean for a disciple to be great? And here, Jesus gives a definition of true greatness. He tells us how it's measured. And what I want you to see is that it is a counterintuitive definition that Jesus gives us here. His measure of greatness is sort of upside down from anything else that we see in this world. And and what I want you to see, and we'll see this later, is that Jesus' definition of greatness literally changed the world. And and his his definition of greatness also has the potential to guide us to make a huge impact, especially in this moment of crisis, Uh, this moment as we're facing the coronavirus. So today we're going to look at what he says about greatness. We're going to think, see uh, uh, two things today. Uh, Number one, we're going to see the problem of false greatness. And second of all, we're going to see a picture of true greatness. The problem of false greatness and a picture of true greatness. So let's uh, jump right into this. We're going to see the problem of of false greatness or pseudo-greatness is demonstrated marvelously by the fight that the disciples get get, get in here in our passage. And so uh, let's read it together, beginning in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? 
But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So here the story opens up, and the disciples are in a discussion. And in the Greek, the word is, is a much stronger than just kind of a casual discussion. This is a heated discussion. This is an argument that the disciples are in. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. And this, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the Gospels, they get in this argument over and over again throughout the story. I want to ask, what triggered the argument? Why were they arguing about who was great? Well, it could have been that Jesus was always talking about the kingdom. And what is a kingdom? A kingdom is an administration. A kingdom is a hierarchy. It's a structure. And Jesus was always, uh, and you know, the structure always has people at the top, the middle, and the bottom. And Jesus was always talking about the greatest in the kingdom and the least in the kingdom. And so naturally, the disciples were wondering, well, where do we fall in the hierarchy? Are, are we going to be uh, up there with, in seats of greatness? I mean, are we going to be at the bottom? Jesus, where do we stand in relation to greatness? Or it could have been the situation that they were in. You remember that this, this incident happens right after another incident called the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, this was uh, a time where, the, where Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of a mountain. And it was a marvelous experience uh, where they, he was transfigured before them. He glowed. Uh, they met Moses and Elijah up there. It was amazing. But the other nine disciples were left at the bottom of the mountain. And so imagine the scene. Uh, Jesus comes down with Peter, James, and John, and the others, are, their pride is wounded. How come we didn't get to go? How come we aren't part of the inner circle? What about us, Jesus? How come, how come we're not in that uh, l- exclusive little group of yours? And I'm sure the, uh, Peter, James, and John didn't make it any easier. They probably said, what were you doing up there? And they said, oh, you know, we were just up there, you know, just spending time with Jesus, you know, just us and Jesus. What were you doing? Oh, you know, just Jesus stuff. You know, just up there kind of hanging out with the Lord. And I imagine they were feeling left out. They were feeling Uh, you know, slighted by this, and so they started arguing out of this anxiety about who was the greatest, where they stood, where their status uh, really was in relation to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It could have been the culture, and so in this ancient culture, it was a very stratified society. Uh, The Roman world was very, very much concerned with greatness, and so, uh, in fact, there's an ancient uh, philosopher named Cicero who talked a lot about greatness, and he says, rank must be preserved. And he said that identity is preserved by the ladder rung. And descent down the ladder was a tragedy. And the higher up you went on this this ladder was uh, an indication of your identity and greatness in society. There's actually a self-help book written by the the philosopher uh, Plutarch. And in this self-help book, he uh, talked about how to uh, toot your own horn or how to praise yourself uh, without drawing attention to yourself, and it was called How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. <laughs> and so uh, this is a culture that's stratified, and so the disciples are breathing this air in, in their culture, and then so they're, they're worried. What about us? Are we great? Are we moving down the ladder? Do we have status? What about our greatness? And so Jesus here, he asks them a question. He says, what were you arguing about along the way? When Jesus asks a question, it is never for his own benefit. It is always for the benefit of his disciples. And so here uh, he asked the question because he wants to teach them a lesson. And specifically, he wants to unmask their false view of what it means to be great. You see, they were arguing about greatness, and they were just assuming that the cultural understanding of greatness was the right one. 
And, and it, wh- what was that definition? A greatness for them meant being on top. It meant being first. It meant being on the top of the mountain there with Jesus. It meant being the strongest and the fastest and the best. And Jesus wants to call that view of, que- that view of greatness into question. Is that a good view of greatness? Notice what this view of greatness was doing to them. They, it caused them to fight. The disciples are arguing because of this view of greatness. They're all anxious inside and they're resentful with one another and they're fighting and they're stressed and they're getting in conflict with one another. Social cohesion is breaking apart because of this view of being on top. And it all comes out of their fear, you know, this deep anxiety. And they're asking the question, what about us? What, where do we stand? How come we're not there on the top of that mountain? How come we're not considered great? It was all kind of coming out of this deep fear and anxiety that they're not measuring up. And I, I started thinking about this, how, how, how our culture might struggle with this view of greatness. You know, often uh, our false view of grace, greatness comes out in a crisis. In a crisis, so often people's first response is, what about me? How can I be first? How can I be on top? I was watching uh, the news the other day, and there was a little, uh, there's a little, little segment. It was called Mass Panic, Coronavirus Horror as Woman Brandishes Knife in Fight Over Toilet Paper as Panic Shoppers Ransack Supermarkets. And so the story was these two women in a supermarket in Australia, they, there was only one piece of toilet, one uh, a box of toilet paper left. And so they were rushing to the aisle and each one of them wanted to get there first. And when the woman got there before the other woman, the, the, it was violence and it was, it was panic and it was fear and it was conflict and it was fighting and it was arguing. It was a false view of what it means to be great. And so Jesus unmasks this in uh, the lives of his disciples. But notice the story doesn't top, stop there because Jesus goes on and he, he goes on to give us the proper view of greatness, what real greatness looks like, what true greatness in the kingdom is all about. And so notice here, uh, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, if anyone would be great, Whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to be a person of status in my kingdom, he says, if anybody wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so Jesus flips our understanding of greatness on its head, doesn't he? And he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it looks like being last of all and servant of all. But what does this look like? I want you to see that it doesn't mean that we're doormats. It doesn't mean that we let people step all over us and uh, it doesn't mean that we have a negative kind of uh, diminishing view of ourselves. Nor does it mean that we don't lead. It doesn't mean that we we don't have positions of status. Uh, It doesn't mean that we're not tenacious. It doesn't mean that we're not ambitious or productive or driven. It simply means that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be the servant of all. In other words, in Christ's kingdom, Great ones are marked by the phrase, my life for yours. False greatness is your life for mine, but true greatness is my life for yours. How can I sacrifice myself for you? Let me give you three uh, characteristics of of true greatness. Number one, uh, true greatness, according to Jesus' definition, begins with being self-forgetful. 
begins with being self-forgetful. In other words, when the crisis comes and, and the panic comes and everybody else is freaking out, your first response is not, what about me? Oh no, what about my own safety? What about my own situation? We are, we're, we're almost forgetful about ourselves and our own issues. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says, true humility, which is also true greatness, is not thinking about yourself less, but thinking less of yourselves. Not diminishing yourself or low self-esteem or always being down on yourself. True greatness is marked by thinking of yourself less. Self-forgetfulness. It's almost like, you know, you think about being a healthy person or being a great person. A great person has a healthy ego. And a healthy, healthy ego never, it just it kind of forgets about itself. Just like, you know, if you've got a body part that is, that's healthy, you don't think about that body part at all. You know, I walked, in order to uh, do this, this uh, little teaching today, I walked from the office to the sanctuary. And on the way to the office, I didn't think, you know, my, I, my elbow is working like a charm today. Boy, my el- elbow is just feeling so great. I didn't even think about my elbow because my elbow is healthy. I'm not standing here thinking, ooh, my, my toes, they're feeling great right now. They're just feeling awesome. I don't even think about my toes because my toes are healthy. And the healthy ego forgets about itself. The great person is the person who's not always asking, what about me and what are people thinking about being me and, and what about my situation? The healthy, great person, Jesus says, has forgotten about the ego. So self-forgetfulness, is the first mark of greatness. Another mark of greatness is being other-centered. Uh, when the crisis comes, not only do you not, are you not first and foremost concerned about yourself, you're also looking out for others. Uh, Jim Collins, uh, who's a leadership guru, uh, he wrote a book, and maybe many of you read it, it's called Good to Great. And he talks about how there are good leaders and then there are great leaders. What is the mark of a great leader? What is the mark of somebody that uh, really leads with, with greatness and distinction. Well, he did interviews and he did research where he looked at leaders of very high-performing companies. And here's what he found. He called them level five leaders. He says level five leaders, he says you'd think that they'd be marked by charisma, having a big personality, making a big splash. But he says every single one of these leaders was marked by a certain humility. He says they were tenacious and they were ambitious But they weren't tenacious and ambitious for themselves. They were tenacious and ambitious for others. In other words, they were always asking, what about others? What about the company? What's best for the whole, not just what's in it for me? This is what it means to be truly great. You're always looking out for the good of other people. Here's a third mark. Uh, Not only are you caring for others, but you're, you're caring for certain others. Uh, greatness is marked by care for the most vulnerable. Now notice in, the, in our story here, uh, Jesus, after, he, after he, he lays down this, this thing about if you want to be first, you, you better be last, and you want to be the servant of all, notice how he illustrates it in verse 36. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. The third mark of true greatness is that you care for those who are most vulnerable, like a little child. Jesus says, whoever cares about this child cares for me. In other words, those who are truly great sees the face of Jesus 
and those who are most vulnerable. You know, people that are concerned with pseudo-greatness, they care about themselves and they pass over the weak because they can't really do anything for them. They, they, can't, they don't network with them because they can't pay them back. But a truly great person is someone who pays attention to the weak and the vulnerable. I read a, a story this past week about the Prime Minister of Sweden and how she held a press conference where she answered the question of, questions of children in the country. What an interesting thing for a leader to do. What a, what a way that she displayed her true greatness by listening to the least vulnerable in society. What do the children care about? What are their questions? What's going on with them? What about the least vulnerable and the weak among us? So this is Jesus' definition of greatness. So what I want you to see is that, that in times of crisis, just like in times of crisis, this, this reveals your self-orientation or your pseudo-idea of greatness. Times of crisis, crisis are also opportunities for you to, to rise to the, the level of Jesus' definition of what it means to be great. Case in point, uh, way back in the Roman world uh, in the year 250, there was, a, there was a plague that ravaged the Roman world. And it was a plague that was more devastating and more um, uh, traumatic than anything else in, in the history of Rome. Uh, one historian said that during this plague, uh, there was a, a, a death rate of 5,000 people a day. Not 5,000 people total, but every single day, 5,000 people, it's estimated, died in the city of Rome. And you think about ancient Rome, I mean, ancient Rome was a place where there were no public hospitals, so like the healthcare system had no way, there, were just, there, was, nothing, there was nothing there to cope with all of these people who were getting sick. Uh, also, sanitation in the city of Rome was horrible. Um, I, any of you who are history majors, you may have studied ancient Rome. I mean, uh, just the, the whole sewage system was horrible, and uh, just viruses were spread, and it was just a, a terrible time to be sick. Also, there was overcrowding and people were just kind of uh, living on top of each other. And so this was devastating and people were dying every day. And what happened was, uh, during this time of plague, pe people just exited the cities. Uh, people were leaving the city of Rome. People were fleeing for their lives. Um, there are stories of famous doctors and famous philosophers that got out of the city and ran from the city. But there's one group of people that actually went into the city. And that group of people were the Christians. And uh, this is not just my bias, this was actually documented. There are ancient primary sources where uh, Christian pastors as well as uh, Roman uh, emperors documented this, this uh, real event where Christians went into uh, the plagued city of Rome. There's a sermon given by uh, a guy named Dionysus. He was a bishop of Alexandria, and, uh, and he, ta he was talking to Christians. And he was saying that, you know, this plague is a schooling or a testing for all Christians. He says, what are you going to do during this pandemic? And he says, crisis, this is something that, that, that's going to reveal your greatness. He says, uh, and, and when you look at this crisis, the greatest among us are going into the cities. Here's what he writes. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick. He's talking about Christians here. Attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. In other words, Christians were going in. The greatest among us 
uh, in this crisis, rose to that, that level of serving others and being last of all. And they went into the city of Rome and they cared for those who were sick, a lot of them at the cost of their own lives, saying, my life for yours. I will sacrifice myself for you. I will be last. I will be the servant of all. And in doing so, they were a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. And in, in the early church, what's interesting is just as that pa- pandemic uh, grew exponentially, uh, Christianity, the Christian faith grew exponentially because people saw what these Christians were doing and they said, that's great. We've never seen anything like this before. So let me ask the final question, which is how can we be great? I mean, this is what Christians did in that moment. This is our moment. What do we do? During the coronavirus, as, as this crisis is kind of going on all around us, how can we as Christians be models of Jesus' teaching here of greatness? How can we rise to the level of being last of all and servants of all? Let me give you some ideas here at the end of the sermon. Um, I think one thing that we can do right now is we can, we can stay away from each other. <laughs> it sounds so counterintuitive, but what's interesting is in that ancient culture in Rome, the call for Christians was, Christians was to go in, engage with people, care for people, touch people, be around people. What's interesting is in our day, the, the, the need is almost exactly the opposite. I read a, an op-ed in the New York Times written by Esau McCauley. He's an assistant professor at Wheaton College. And he wrote this, this article call, called the, the, Christians, uh, the Christian Call During the Coronavirus. Here's what he said. What the world needs now, what does the world need now? What the world needs now is not our physical presence, but our absence. This does not seem like the stuff of legend. What did the church do in the year of our Lord 2020 when sickness swept our land? We met in smaller groups, washed our hands, and prayed. Unglamorous as this, as this is, it may be the shape of faithfulness in our time. Heroic virtue comes in small actions as much as large ones, is what he says. So the first thing we can do is we can stay away. We can meet in smaller groups. We can wash our hands. I don't know about you, but um, staying away from church and staying away from all of you guys, for me, is a sacrifice. You know, there are many of you, you would, you want, you'd rather be in church today. You know, you want to be around the family of God. You want to worship. Uh, you know, you miss Sam's wonderful face as he gives the announcements every Sunday. And it's a sacrifice to stay home. Many of you who are with your kids homeschooling for the first time, <laughs> it's hard. But what you're doing is you're sacrificing for the common good. Yes, it's hard, and there are some of you that are really sacrificing. If you own a small business, Right, if you're, or if you, you've got some other financial shortfall because of, of the um, social uh, distancing that's happening right now. I want you to know that your sacrifice is for the good of others. And doing it cheerfully, saying my life for yours is actually a very Christian thing to do. And so you can stay away. You can isolate. But what else can we do? I mean, because a lot of us, we, we, we kind of feel like our hands are tied. I mean, what else can we do besides, from, besides staying home? Well, here's some other ideas. Another thing you can do is you can pray. Uh, you can pray. You know, prayer works. 
And uh, in some ways, it seems kind of, especially if you're a doer and you want to get out and do something, prayer seems kind of like you're not doing anything. But believe me, prayer really works. And so uh, dedicate spaces every day in your calendar to pray. Pray for the coronavirus. Pray that God would stop the spread. Pray that God would protect people. Pray that God would be with, with the lonely and the isolated. Here's another thing you can do. You can call people that are lonely and isolated. Um, we were talking to somebody this morning, and she was describing uh, kind of the situation for somebody who's living at home. And uh, she's not married. She, does, you know, she doesn't have kids. She's living with her dogs. And she says, <laughs> and her cat, I think, cat, uh, yeah. And, and she, uh, she's like, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it feels kind of lonely being at home. And she was describing how a certain one person in our community was calling her every day. And what a big blessing that was for her. Hey, this is one thing you can do. You could think, who do I know? Who can I contact in our community? Who might be alone? Who might have nobody to, uh, you know, relatives close by, or, uh, maybe people that are unmarried. You can call those people and just, it's very simple. You don't have to have a long conversation. You can just say, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? You know, during this time where we, we can't necessarily be the hands and feet of Jesus, we can be the ears and the voice of Jesus just through a simple phone call. Uh, what else can we do? Um, some of you might be able to go shopping for somebody. You know, there's a lot of folks that are in the, the dangerous category uh, who might have pre-existing conditions or maybe they are in an age bracket where they're more vulnerable and susceptible to uh, the disease. Uh, you can offer to go grocery shopping. M maybe these are uh, neighbors of yours, uh, maybe somebody in our church community. Um, but just ask the question, who might need uh, groceries? Who might need me to go to the store for them, if you're able-bodied and you're, you're not in that category, you may be able to do that for somebody. Uh, there's a lot of things that you might be able to do. Um, so at this point, um, what I want to do is I, well, let me just give you one more thing to do. <laughs> let me just give you one more thing to do. Don't panic, please. <laughs> um, notice in our story, the people who had the false view of greatness were the ones who were in a panic. They were the ones governed by fear and fighting and arguing and angst and anxiety. And Jesus marks out a view of greatness that, that begins with sort of a sense of, of peace. Uh, there's a famous book where the guy talks about how great leaders mark a non-anxious presence. And so that's one thing you can do is you can just be a person of peace. Be a person who um, exudes calmness and joy in a time like this. You might be saying, well, how do I get that, that calmness and joy? Well, what's interesting, I was, earlier today, actually, I was, my kids were out in the front yard, and they were playing, and we've got neighbors in the, in the neighborhood, and uh, one thing we're trying to tell our kids is, like, don't get close to the neighbors. Like, keep six feet away. And we actually got out a yardstick to tell, like, this, six feet is longer than you think, right? We were telling them, stay away from the neighbors. But here's the thing I noticed. My kids are not scared of the coronavirus. You kind of want them to be a little bit more scared, but they're not afraid of the coronavirus. And part of that is they're just not aware of the danger. I mean, the part of that, they just don't know enough to be afraid. But another part of that is they just have a calm confidence in their parents. They are resting in the care of mom and dad. I think there's a lesson in that. You know, in another, here Jesus says, I want, he brings a child and says, care for the, the children. There's another point where Jesus says, why don't you become like a little child? The great in the kingdom are like little children in this way. 
they have a deep sense of, of confidence in their heavenly Father, that God's caring for them. Listen, God does care for you. You have a heavenly Father, not a distant God. You've got a heavenly Father who sent his only Son because he loves you. You know, he cares even for the birds of the air. How much more does he care about you? You are of so much value to him that he sent his only son. He sacrificed his only son in order to care for you. You are in good hands. And so I want to encourage you to rest in Jesus. Don't panic. There's enough toilet paper for all of us. But let me, here, let me end with this. So we, we were thinking as a staff this week uh, how we might be able to help you um, really practice this in, um, in our time, in our situation here. And uh, we've got a text number, like a, a, a number that you can text. And uh, this is a number that we're asking that if you have a need of any kind, whether you need groceries or um, a phone call or um, anything else, any need that you have, we want you to text this number with your need because we want to try to meet that need. Also, if you're somebody in this community and you're out there and maybe you're staying home and you're washing your hands and you're thinking, well, what else can I do? I want you to text your name and your number to to this number and just say, I want to help. Just text us your name, text us maybe an idea that you have to help other people because uh, what we want to do is we want to connect the folks that are willing to serve and the people that have a need. And so the way we're doing this is by asking you to text to this number. 870-834-7824. 870-834-7824. So text this number. It's going to come up on your screen. Uh, 870-834-7824. Folks, we're in a crisis, but, but crises are, are an opportunity for us to rise to the level of true greatness. This is our moment. Just like the moment for the early Christians was 250 AD, this is our moment to practice Jesus' principle of being last of all and servant of all. What does it look like for you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the teaching that you give us about what it means to be truly great. God, it's so counterintuitive. Um, It's so uh, deeply uh, powerful in this world. If we as the people of God uh, aren't grasping for power, not wanting to be on top, not wanting to be... uh, Uh, people of status or of importance, but instead we are taking the downward path, downward mobility, uh, seeking to be last of all and servants of all, forgetting about ourselves and and achieving and and wanting to be important, instead looking out for the needs of others, following the example of Jesus Christ who laid down his own life in service of humanity. God, help us to be people of greatness. modeled by the greatness of Jesus. God, we pray that we would follow your way, that we would do the things, all the things that you did. And we pray this in Jesus' name.